0: You're listening to another edition of World of Noise right here on X-Ray FM, your weekly look at the music being made here in Portland and the people who are making it or making it possible. I'm your host, DJ Bob Ham, and on this week's show... What you're listening to is a song by Blondie, but it's not actually by Blondie. This performance is by Glass of Hearts, a blondie tribute band that has been playing gigs around the Northwest, recreating the sound and look of the popular New York post-punk group. Now, if you've looked over the concert calendars of venues like the Aladdin Theater or Dante's or the Star Theater, you may have noticed an uptick in events featuring tribute bands like Glass of Hearts. Some of them are regular touring acts like Super Diamond or the all-female Led Zeppelin cover band Zepparella. But a lot more of them are based here in Portland or come from around the Northwest, like Stone and Love, the Journey tribute band that is playing a show on New Year's Eve weekend at the Crystal Ballroom with the Heart tribute band Barracuda, the Bon Jovi tribute band Steel Horse and Foreigner tribute act Jukebox Heroes who are both playing the Ponderosa Lounge on Friday the 13th, or Grand Royale, the Beastie Boys tribute band playing at Billy's Bar and Grill in Vancouver on Saturday. It's a fascinating subset of the local scene that has caught fire as a cost-conscious way for fans to hear the music of their favorite artists, or to enjoy the sounds of those bands that have long since broken up, or those artists that have passed away years ago. As this world has been a curiosity of mine for some time, I knew when I was starting this show that I wanted to dive into it a little bit. And with that in mind, I invited two guests to the studio this week. One is Liz Giz, the Debbie Harry in That Blondie Tribute Act, Glass of Hearts, and the other is Jason Fellman. He's a concert promoter for tribute bands and cover bands through his company, J. Fell Presents, as well as being the drummer in Stone & Love, that journey tribute band. It was a fascinating and lively conversation that delved into the economics of this cover band world and what has made groups like theirs a minor phenomenon here in the local scene. All that and more right here on World of Noise. Stay tuned. Liz, Giz, I want to start with you, talking about this world of tribute bands. Um, how did this get? St- how did you start out in this world?
1: Excellent. I started by auditioning. Yeah. I saw an ad on Craigslist. I'm a big Craigslist fiend. <laughs> I find lots of interesting things there, either to buy or to do. Right. And I just thought, you know, why don't I give this a try? And actually, I didn't get cast so to speak the first time uh, what were you auditioning for the first time for the lead singer position in this in blondie this, tribute in this... that's all i knew <laughs> um and i knew blondie's music but uh i wasn't the person to start the band so i had to be kind of wooed in or i i'm not exactly how to say that um i had to prove myself more or less okay yeah vocally i think yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i mean i
0: mean So this wasn't anything that you were looking to do. You were just like, oh, this will be a fun little lark. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I have a musical theater background. uh, So I I imagined myself. I could visualize this very easily. I thought, yes, I can do this. And I like to sing. So I more or less kind of imagined myself being a lead singer of something. And this came across as an opportunity. And I jumped on it.
0: Nice. Yeah so how yeah you said you were a little familiar with blondie's music you've heard it on the radio i'm sure know some of the songs Mm -hmm. um so how was that to jump into this catalog they've got you know a fair number of records a lot of deep cuts that people love as much as the big hits
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, i jumped in by asking the band for their repertoire set list like what can you play and then i mean that was about three hours of music right there and i kind of organized it from album to album and i started my vinyl collection by doing the research because i figured i live very close to music millennium and i thought what about what a better place to walk into and (laughs) get my fingers on some blondie um so yeah i started kind of just in an interesting way just collecting what was told to me was good and then (laughs) i went from there and explored more and now Uh, yeah, I'm still learning more of their music. I have not tapped every song that they've sung.
0: It's a deep well. Wow, yeah. Um, What was the first song you tried out?
1: They wanted me to sing Heart of Glass, the namesake of the band, Mm -hmm. Glass of Hearts. Uh, And I believe Rapture was the next one, which is a difficult song for your second song. Yeah, Um, because
0: it's it's not just like the the high sort of uh, (laughs) range that she's going for. It's all the rap parts in there too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that was actually the easier part was the rap because it's spoken. <laughs> of course, you know? well, that you're makes sense. Kinda, but... You just tell a story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then uh, One Way and Call Me, I think those were like the top four. They gave me, I think, four or five songs mm-hmm. that are the absolute crucial songs that you have to sing if you're in a Blondie tribute band.
0: That would make sense. Yeah,
1: and uh, and now those are probably songs that we sing at every set.
0: Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. Um, were they easy to get? I mean, just because, like I said, like those songs are sort of... In the canon now of pop music and people you know all around the world know these songs are those, those things you could jump into easily or did it take some work to really get into the flow of oh
1: so the thing that i had to get so to speak was her voice her sound and because i sound the way that i sound and if you're in a tribute band you try your hardest somewhat to mimic what you are hearing and right. so we had as a band had to decide first off are we going for a studio Version of this band? Are we going for a live, kind of idea concept band? What are we? And so we've all agreed. Okay, no, we're going to try our best to, to be Blondie mm-hmm. without coming off too pompous. There, but um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to try our best and sound like her and and look like her. And and while we don't have the same exact lineup, I as the lead singer need to do the the most true. Impression of this artist. So the thing to get wasn't the lyrics. It wasn't even the songs. I have a a good ear for that. So that wasn't that wasn't difficult. It was that voice that she has, that Kermit the Frog thing that she's got in the back of her throat. <laughs> ah! Yeah, that was that was something that I had to definitely obtain.
0: Now maybe this is a yeah. good place to bring. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Do you have more Thank to you. say there? No. Okay. Um, maybe this is a good point to bring you in, Jason Feldman. Uh, you are the man behind Fell Presents, a uh, talent agency that books a lot of these tribute acts here in and around the Northwest. Um, when
2: did you start in on this journey? Uh, that Great pun, given that I play drums in a journey tribute. And then, I thought you would pick up on that. Ba-dum-pah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you. know, Basically, um, the short version of it is that I had an original band. For, for me, I had uh, previously owned a marketing company in Austin, Texas. I sold my portion of that, moved back here, had a Itch to scratch musically, since that's what I studied in school originally. So I had an original band, and I realized that if you wanted to be able to pay your band, you had to be able to play the whole night. But no one wants to listen to your original tunes all night. (laughs) I mean, even your absolute... I love Rush. Rush is my favorite band. I can't take four hours of Rush. So, wow. yeah. So, anyway. I, I know there's um, some
0: Rush fans listening. They're going to yeah, you know, call you out on that. I don't know.
2: So, anyway, so the bottom line was we, we, this idea was that the last half to a third of the night, was, we called it 80s night. And so the second half was because I just love, you know, I you know, graduated high school in 91. So, mm-hmm. I grew up in the 80s. And so, I've always loved 80s music. And so, it was a logical match with the people who were coming to see our show. So, anyway, people would actually stick around for that. And I, I realized that I was having more fun playing these 80s covers. Than uh than I than I was doing my own music because I enjoyed the process of playing live and the reaction and I actually liked those songs better. I'm not a great songwriter and I had, <laughs> I wasn't going anywhere, you know. So anyway, so that that was the beginning of the itch for me in terms of getting to the cover side of things. From there, it was just simple matter of you know. Several of us hanging out in the recording studio with friends and Kevin Hahn with Kevin Hahn's recording studio and he's the guy who sings for Stolen Love. And mm-hmm. someone grabbed a guitar and Journey was being sung and Kevin's mouth opened up and Steve Perry was coming out and someone made a joke, man, we should totally do a journey tribute. It was we were kidding, right? But we decided <laughs> just for the fun of it, we even gave the name was even a joke, Stone in Love, which is their band name. Um, what we did was, we uh, learned five songs and we tacked it on the end to one of our 80s band shows. Our 80s band is called Radical Revolution. I still have the original poster. We call it Stone in Love. And we did these five songs. It was at the Thirsty Lion downtown. <laughs> and the place went bananas. So, wow. yeah, and that was the beginning of it. And from then, it, it was really quickly how quickly it happened. I think a lot of it is just demographically based on the timing the people who are, who uh, like 80s music or and liked Journey and whatnot were of the age where their kids were now old enough where they could go out again. So they had young families, but the families were, you know, the kids were, like, either the age where they could leave them with a babysitter or old enough to stay home. I, uh, funny thing is now that it's, like, 10, 12 years later since sort of the the beginning of our scene, those people now have their, their uh, kids, many of them are adults, like young 20s who are coming to the shows with their parents. It's a trip. So anyway... Anyway, So that's how that's the, the I believe or not the short version of how I got started in this side of it
0: So if uh, a rough estimate of how many bands you represent then
2: well first of all I should clarify because I, ha- I have a merger going on that was just uh, it's really taking place officially at the beginning of 2020 But I've spun off the talent agency portion of my business and merged with sterling talent Okay, and we're operating under the name sterling talent So that's all just straight up booking where we book somebody pay a fixed fee it's an agency business and then JFL presents I continue to operate um, as a, just a concert promoter mm-hmm. and a marketing entity for Sterling talent clients. I see. So that's the, that so w- in terms of representing it's you know it, there's a gray area. understand uh, but, yeah. but, but, but in terms of like the number that I represent exclusively, I think they're probably like maybe 18 bands in terms of the number of bands I actually work with yeah uh, hundreds. Wow oh, yeah I mean if I looked at all the bands I've ever booked, but, I mean, just right now,
0: uh, you know, looking at the, the calendar just for the next month, you know, uh, on some nights, on some Saturday nights, there's like, you know, seven or eight bands yeah, exactly. over the course of an evening.
2: And, and a lot of it is like a focus on the I-5 corridor and then also um, east over to Boise. So okay. um, <clears throat> a lot of that is that I've established a really great partnership with the company, um, with the gentleman who owns a company up there, Murray McVeigh of Merman Productions, who has access to tremendous talent from... Vancouver, British Columbia, and that kind of area up there, and there, there, there aren't that many great opportunities, but there are a lot of great musicians, and so we have this sort of corridor, this pipeline where bands are going north to south between there and here, routing. So we have a whole series at the Spanish Ballroom in Tacoma. I think we had like a 13 show run going on there right now. Wow, we probably have like 30 shows at Bakes Place in Bellevue, Washington. Um, We're getting things going with Jazz Bones in Tacoma. We also have stuff at Knitting Factory, um, Spokane. Spokane. Um, and then we have the Aladdin theater tribute series here, you know, probably about five shows a year at the crystal ballroom and and Dante star theater. There's a lot, yeah, a lot going on. Wow. Yeah. So is that, Liz,
0: is that some of the attraction to be in a band like this, just knowing that you're going to have an audience, you're not going to have to worry about those nights of like, we're going to play a Wednesday night at some bar and maybe five of our friends will show up.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I have to say thank you, Jason, for that. Uh, you work hard <laughs> yeah. and it shows.
2: Well, you wouldn't be getting the gigs if your band wasn't good. There so you there's go. that thank side you. of it. Yeah. We'll Get into that in a moment. Yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, you know, well, sorry, well, how do I answer that question? Let's see. Um we had to commit as a band to not take those gigs because those those gigs are out there the ones if we want to go and have a paid <laughs> rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we like to call those, those paid rehearsal kind of meetings uh, out in public um but yeah as a band we had to kind of just set a standard for ourselves saying like if we want a then we need to perform to that level like Mm -hmm. if we want this dollar value we need to bring it there uh so i'm sorry i don't think i'm answering your question at all well i think you are but yeah i think it was as as a band we just had to commit to quality sure yeah but and not overplaying that was something i learned from you absolutely that is a big deal for i think
0: any band um of the me- other members of Glass of Hearts, yeah. um, you know, you and I were talking before you have a day job and you're, you know, teaching music. Um, do any of the rest of the gentlemen in your band, do they have other musical projects that are not tr- tribute related that are, you know, their own original music and original bands trying to make it, for lack of a better term? I love
1: that. Um, let's see. I have all of my bandmates are working musicians outside of the band. <coughs> Uh, they all have different kinds of things that they do. For example, my drummer, Greg Odell, is uh, the leader, the the owner, I don't know what his title would be, <laughs> CEO of the uh, Syncopated Drummer's Corps here in Portland. Ah. Uh, and so that's kind of a cool thing. I think he is not playing original music per se, but uh, it is pretty cool what he's doing. It's an original idea. Um, I think my other guys in my band, they play their respective instruments in other tribute bands as well um but i don't i can't say that any of us have our own that we share our own originals um that we are ready to to perform live or anything
0: but yeah and what about you jason with stone in love are there any folks in your band that have like outside gigs that aren't tribute related
2: yeah, for sure. I mean, there, you know, a couple of us do music exclusively, but, you know, one owns Canyon Glass, uh, you know, Glass, the industrial and commercial glass company. One of them is uh, Kevin Han owns two recording studios. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the other one is a programmer slash investor slash world traveler. Like, he's only, he only lives here six months out of the year. Um, so it's a really, yeah, really interesting band. Um, but very few of the tribute bands in general have people who that's their only gig there are full-time musicians sure but but even that is relatively rare um compared to sort of the more you know i i don't need the money i do this for fun you know there's not me personally i'm just saying that's that (laughs) that, that um that philosophy definitely prevails in the tribute scene sure
0: and I should say that, you know, also in the mix are these cover bands that you were talking about, like yours, Radical Revolution. Yeah. That does so Is it mostly 80s stuff? Well, that
2: you it, it a little, it's a hybrid. It's what I call a genre tribute. Okay. So, I mean, it, 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 in that we're, we only do 80s and we dress up like the 80s. Okay. Um, but you definitely don't operate a genre tribute the same way you do. Uh, you know, like a blondie or a journey tribute. They're they're definitely different there, they serve different functions. One's a party, one's a concert. Um, the, okay. the 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 only caveat there is that in some circumstances cover bands play concert, most notably like the summer concert series. Yeah. But that may, if you think about the audience for that, you know it's you know if you go to say the Lake Oswego summer concert series, it, decent chance that there are people who are seeing it the Gemini in Lake Oswego leading up to that. You know, not necessarily a different demo. Sure.
0: Now, when it comes to either of your bands, and let me preface this a little bit by, you know, um, a few years ago I was able to see as a French Canadian Genesis tribute group called The Musical Box. Yep. And they are, they get really deep into it. Besides just like the stage setup and the costumes, um, they're actually like doing like stage banter from bootlegs that they have of the band from the seventies. And I imagine I've seen pictures of both of your acts. You guys get, you know, dressed up for this. You dress the part. But do you get that deep into it? Or are, or for you, Jason, are there bands that get that deep into it that really want to replicate the experience of seeing this band?
2: Yeah, it's a, there's a huge spectrum there. And the way I always talk about it is it really depends on what the defining attribute of the band uh, is or was. So I'm going to use Journey and Motley Crue as two very stark examples. Right? Okay. Um, in Journey, um, the look of the band was not a defining attribute. Right. You could get by. With, I mean, we have an Asian singer and three and four other people who don't look or dress the part. OK, so um, we don't look like I mean, the close I mean, the the funny thing is that people like you get. Oh, are you a current to the current journey? I'm like, the current journey singers, Filipino, our guy's <laughs> Korean. So, you know, you bit of a difference yeah. there. But, but beyond that, like, um, yeah, we so whereas if you're a Motley crew tribute and you, you roll out there with a bald singer. <laughs> no one's buying it because you right. couldn't get over that. So I think that yeah. that that's the thing is that people can suspend disbelief in a band like Journey because you're hearing it. Blondie's probably somewhere in between. But if you didn't have the look, the swagger, the t- I mean, you you know. Like, Absolutely, you she wear the, the blonde sexy. wig. Yeah. she's
1: an idol. Yeah,
2: for, yeah. you guys, your fashion. outfits, for example, Gosh. are incre- You know, so key because it's transportational to the era. <laughs> you guys do a really good job of that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we ha- we have to. It's it's not something that's just born. We have to meet, and plan. <laughs> well, the other one too. Like,
2: I'd be interested to know, like, your, you know, with the keyboard sounds, for example. Sure. That, that's a big, you know, for all these bands, like that's a big part of it, getting mm-hmm. the right sounds. You guys yeah. must spend a lot of time on that.
1: Absolutely, we had to actually hire a new. A keyboardist, a guy on keys, brought in his own patches for yeah. his for what he was hearing for the studio versions, and that absolutely elevated yeah. us once we had yeah. that guy.
2: Yeah, definitely an under underrated, uh, underappreciated element of tribute bands in general is getting all the tones and the sounds mm-hmm. right.
0: Yeah, uh, is that something that with Stone and Love you guys took a lot of time to make sure you were getting? Everything down correctly, and <laughs> you know because I haven't seen you guys. No, so I- no,
2: I mean it's, it's it's a little embarrassing because Stone and Love is like it is a little bit weird because on the one hand we're by far the the highest drawing tribute band around, right? Is that so? Oh yeah. Okay. In, in locally, 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 yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, by the same token, we're probably one of the least authentic. You know what I mean? Uh, we're kind of like Super Diamond, which is you know they don't really look or sound like Neil Diamond, right. but they're you know they charge an insane amount of money and deserve it. So. Um, yeah, so I, that's it's probably not the best example. I guess I forgot what the question was, but I was about to rip on my own band. Um, no, but I was asking about you know
0: you you know getting the music like locked in to make it sound as much to, it's, close it's, to the record. It's as possible. really
2: important, and you mentioned the record, and that's actually uh, I know that Liz you had mentioned earlier about like having to make the decision between the live version of the band or the studio version. By and large, the people who go see a tribute show are not people who even want to hear the deep cuts. They don't know the band that well. They're like, "Oh, Blondie, fun," you know what I mean? Or right. I love Journey, but I, you know, they don't own any of the al- Journey albums. I can tell you that, you know. But and um, they own a greatest hits. Yeah, playlist. And, yeah, and and so, um, uh, but the second thing is that you, you know I always tell bands like you got to go after the studio version. Because the real band, you know, if, if if Guns N' Roses decides to do a you know a, a slowed down version of song X or whatever, that's one thing. Although again, I'm using a bad example because Appetite actually pulls this off. But in general, people are going to hear the albums. Right. That's why it's actually harder in most cases to be in a tribute band than the real band when it comes to the live performance. Because <laughs> these guys, you know, they never they have, they never they got a hall pass on that stuff yeah. that tribute bands don't get. If you're tuned down a whole step on an al- out, it's something that's like it's you know you're at risk of them calling foul. Oh, Interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah,
1: Debbie Harry takes liberties live. Oh yeah, especially she, nowadays. Mean, she's still, yeah. yeah, she's still rocking it, and uh, I do not use the live performances yeah. as a reference. Okay. it's fun to celebrate. And, sure. and listen, yeah. but I, I do not try to mimic them.
2: Yeah, those. there are very few circumstances where being a live version of the band is actually a good idea. I mean, I can think of some exceptions. You know, for example, like bands like The Grateful Dead, which yeah. probably have, or you know, the jam bands, for example. Or some bands that maybe had a signature live album, right? You know what I mean? Like you know, they're somewhere like more known Sheep for like live at Budokan. Great something example, like that. Yeah. yeah. So I can see where that makes sense, but I think mainly you have to ask yourself, what is it that people are used to hearing on the radio? Yeah. that's what they want to see at the show, and the majority of people in the audience, especially the ones that where you're going to make money. Yeah, it's not because you can only sell so many tickets to shows and make money that way. The real way to make money is to get hired for gigs, for festivals, for summer concerts, right. for corporate engagements. That's where the money is. Okay, selling tickets is a lot lot of work and every time you go you have to be kind of committed to touring otherwise you can't really develop yourself in a market one of the things i've learned as an outside promoter is when you go into other markets it's a lot harder yeah (laughs) Yeah. i never realized like how much i rely on the tribute scene here to to as a promoter Yeah. (laughs) yeah um
0: Yeah, I really wanted to get someone from the Garcia birthday band in here to do this interview because of getting into what you were talking about where, you know, they are doing, I think it's coming up soon or already happened a tribute to Live Dead, like the Live Grateful Dead record. And, you know, I wanted to know from them, like how... Liberally, do they take this music because, you know, the Grateful Dead, there's like hundreds of live recordings of them, and each one of them is different in some small or large way. So, I want to know how much are they building off of that, or how much are they trying to replicate particular eras, particular shows,
2: and what they sound like. If you think about what they're sort of peddling in a band like that, like, you know, bands like ours, like Blondie and Journey, what we're doing is we're selling nostalgia. Right. But what they're doing is they're maintaining a culture. You know what I mean? Like, that, 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 because, you know, there's a, there's a, um, you know, there's a big hole in the world when the Grateful Dead went away. I mean, there were certain, you know, fish, widespread payment. I there were only so many of them. It's like these cult, this culture needs something to gather around. You know, what I mean, and they were never about the radio. This was never gonna, you know, it was always about the vibe at the right. concerts and the familiarity and the, you know. So I think it's important to look at what the, what made the the experience of the original band tick that informs what makes the tribute band. So they just they. What they have to do is make sure that when you go to a, a I can't, I me, mean, I can't totally speak for them, but as a promoter, I'm thinking what you sure. need to do is it needs to feel like you're at a Grateful Dead concert, and that's you need to have that feeling with everybody else, yeah, as opposed to we're all remembering it together, which is kind of <laughs> what we have, It's like, oh man, remember this one? I love this song, yeah. You know? But yeah. then you get those 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 nights of shows where
0: there are two or more tribute bands playing together, and I think the Garcia Birthday Band in Life During Wartime, it's mm-hmm. like the local Talking Heads tribute band. We're doing a show together and i that i couldn't wrap my head around that that seemed more of just like well we're just we're both doing this tribute thing let's just join forces where something like if like your two bands play mm-hmm. together journey and blondie that makes a little
2: more sense just yeah. from
0: the eras that i think you, you two are both pulling from so
2: yeah i mean I, I as a promoter i agree i mean i i think um but but there are reasons why one may would choose to go down a path like that. Sure. Um, you know, you, you, the way I look, I think of audiences as concentric oh, cir- concentric circles that kind of or not cons- it just circles that overlap. Like, was it a Venn diagram yeah, or something yeah. like that? And so, you know, the the question in a show like that would be is how much overlap is there? But you also have to look at business goals. For example, what might not be evident is are they at a venue where they get a percentage of the bar, so the turnover. Maybe they want turnover. Maybe the capacity is such that the e- e- either either band could actually fill most of it and they don't want it to be full all night. So they want the audience to evolve. Over. So, I mean, there are other reasons why they might do it that way strategically that might not make sense from an artistic standpoint. Right. But might make sense from either a business or a demographic standpoint. Right.
0: So, Liz, looking at the you, you have on the Glass of Hearts website, you know, the sort of set list of stuff you can pull from <laughs> on any given night. Um how much is that regimented by what you as the band wants to play or what the people hiring you want to hear? Do you have those gigs where people are like we want to hear these songs or do they set put the set list for you?
1: I am the set list creator. OK. That is one of my jobs in the band. Um, and I have I have complete control. Of course, I take requests. um, and I take into a point, like, for example, we did a private party for someone who claimed that he really loved Blondie. So that, to me, was an opportunity to make sure that we make this person happy. And right. I asked him, what are the songs you want to hear? And, of course, they were the ones that we do at all of our They're the top hits. (laughs) So I knew, ah, we're going to just make this guy happy by doing what we would do normally. But then I'm also going to sprinkle in some of those those B-side tracks because we're at this private party and I can have a little bit more wiggle room with my set list building. When I do a festival... Like HairFest, and I know I only have 30 minutes or whatever I'm given. I'm going to really focus on what I've noticed a, a reaction from in terms of my audience. Right. Um, and I see a lot of women in my crowd, and so I think that of like sense. what songs I want to sing along with. Is this am I out? Am I singing outside? Am I in a place where they can dance? Mm-hmm. I, I think of a lot of things when I'm creating the set list. I also think of preferences from my bandmates. What songs <laughs> do they like to play that I know they'll play well? Um, what songs have we not played for a while that we should probably revisit? Okay. But essentially, there are about six or seven songs that make it onto every single set list. Well, that makes a lot of that sense. It makes it easy. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah.
0: But you know, looking at your song list though, there are you know non Blondie songs listed right. on here. There's you know, Groove Is In The Heart, the delight single. Mm-hmm. You do, uh, I'm guessing, Heroes is the Bowie yep. song, and then Bang A Gong, the T Rex right. tune. Um, when do you know when to pull those out?
1: So we ch- we have added those in because Blondie does play those live in their new sets old sets so those are covers of ah, covers of okay. covers that we're doing um, and they're also just kick-ass songs well sure they're party starters Especially bang a gong that yeah. has been a newer song that we've added and people are in mid-conversation and they they're <laughs> ears turn and their eyes perk up and they go, they did that? No, no, they didn't. Well, they did, but it's not yeah, theirs, yeah, yeah.
0: right? I forgot they did D- the Delight song. Mm-hmm. I know I've heard, I've seen video yeah. of them doing that. That's right. right. Well, yeah. the cool
2: thing is you also have an opportunity, see, rather than play a deep cut in a situation where people don't know it, you have an opportunity to get this very same reaction that you just had right now. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, they really played that one? Like, even now, as I'm sitting there and going, like, well, I knew about two of them. But I forgot about Delight. You're right. <laughs> yep. I'm like, and then people, and they love the song. So it's like, it's like, in. Yeah, I mean, I, we talk about this in our band all the time because mm-hmm. even with Journey, which has this huge catalog of hits, it's not as long as you would think—75 minutes tops, right? That's, of that's of stuff good, that's that a everybody good live knows, set, right? But yeah, yeah, but 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 there's no seldom do you get hired to do only a 75 minute set. Right. You know, the average summer concert, for example, is an uh, hour and forty-five minutes of music. So, okay. uh, you know, I, I think a band is better off even just playing it. Like we we've talked about, like you know how everybody thinks that songs by Survivor were really Journey, you know? Because <laughs> so we're like, we should just do Survivor songs rather no than one play. Would know. No, or, or or make a joke about it rather than and make it yeah. funny and entertaining rather than go yeah. and play, um, you know, Chain Reaction, which. You know, I mean, even the good deep cuts. It's amazing how fast you can lose an audience right. with a great deep cut. You're not pulling stuff off in the pre-Steve Perry era yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. If you, you know, do, you
0: throw some Steve Perry solo stuff in there? From
2: well, we do O'Sherry and we do some of the uh, Greg Raleigh. You know, we do okay. three songs that have Greg Raleigh on leads. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah.
0: Um Tell me about HairFest. You mentioned this.
2: Uh, tell me what HairFest is. It is the mother of all tribute band festivals. We're going into our tenth year this wow. year. Yeah, it's uh, out in Camby, Oregon. Um, we uh, actually haven't. We usually have tickets on sale Cyber Monday. We haven't even like formally announced our dates yet. Oh we're, goodness! Well, we're taking a little bit of extra time this year with the planning because it's year ten, so we got a lot of surprises. But anyway, it's a big tribute festival out in Camby. Um, we have about six thousand people that come out for this. Uh, wow! Uh, about fifteen hundred spending the night um it's you know true west who owns the aladdin and does all the you know uh, all the production and everything for the zoo concerts they run our production our side I mean it's a totally pro deal um you know uh it's been sponsored, I think uh, you know, seven of nine years have been sponsored by iHeartMedia. So they they're in there deep. Um and we have two stages. Uh last year I think we had 23 bands on two days. Wow. Uh and then this year, I think this year we'll have 22 bands um because we're adding in some breaks. We went non-stop last year. It was <laughs> nuts. So yeah, we're into our tenth year and it's it's like a conclave for the Northwest tribute scene. You know, we we'll generally bring in a couple bands from out of market, but primarily it's People from the scene that we cultivate year round. So you know, a lot of it is if you look at the overlapping audiences from bands. Now we can think of that on a more like geographical scale. Sure. The overlap of journey of journey audience between here, Tacoma, and all the way up to Vancouver and out to. So, um, so yeah. So that that's what it is, and it's uh, you know, for people who into tribute bands, it's summer camp for adults. (laughs) It's fun. Is so anyone listening that's uh HARE Fest not yeah. uh, not Hair Fest. Like, yeah it's it's generally the second weekend in July and it probably okay. pro- probably will be again this year. We're pretty sure we're on the same date. Okay. About 98% sure. When you're bringing in a band
0: from out of town um are, what are you looking for? You're looking for just like oh we don't have a band that plays this set of music or, you know, they, you know, pay tribute to this band. Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, a number of things we look at. One of the things we look at are just the comments that people make. I mean, we have a really great relationship with our fan base. You know, every year we have a formal feedback mechanism. Most of the great ideas that exist at Hairfest came from a fan at some point. Okay. So, um... Yeah. I guess that means most of the bad ideas were ours, but no, I mean, I mean, I mean this seriously, they really do. It's a really great, it's an interesting relationship. It's like, they know we're always trying to make it better. And they're, uh, we, you know, they don't, when things don't go right, we don't get ripped. You know what I mean? They, mm-hmm. they, they kind of get it. You know what I mean? So everyone's kind of in this together kind of model and a lot of regulars. And so, um, oh man, I forgot the question again. Shit.
0: I was just asking about the uh, the bands that you bring in from. Oh other yeah, towns, so
2: you know. so usually it's like we want a specific band or like you know we really want to tribute to X this year. Let's go find a really good one. Oh wow, um, like the, one of the first major out of market bands we brought in the beginning of the Canadian invasion was Barracuda. You know, it was after year three someone had commented on a post. I think we might have talked about this at lunch, um, and they said, "Hey, sure would be nice if you had a female fronted act," because in the first three years we did not have one. Wow. um, and you know, but that was a reflection of what was actually in the market., yeah. you know what Absolutely. I mean like that and, and also too, I mean, the reality is using sort of the volume of hits in classic rock and what translates well into a live tribute show, the the sad truth and again, this is reflective of the business, you know during that era is there aren't that many female fronted bands loaded with hits, but the first one that came to mind was heart. Right, I'm like, who is the quintessential rock singer? You know, classic rock singer, and that you know, Debbie Harry's one too. But but, Heart was. On, I I had it in my mind, and I kid you not, I I just opened up Facebook to do a search, and a video was literally just sitting right in front of me from Barracuda. Wow! And I heard Donna sing. You've heard Donna sing. Yeah. She's crazy. I mean, she is amazing, and uh, I was sold, and and uh, that was the beginning of a lot of this stuff with them. So yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great example of how you know you go looking for a band, and interesting doors open.
0: Okay. For each of you, how many shows do you end up playing a year with your respective bands?
1: I actually just did the numbers. Uh, I'm a numbers person. I like to document all of these things. Uh, And I have been with the band for about four years or four seasons, as I'm calling them. And uh, about, on average, we've tried to do a gig a month. Like, that's about how it kind of scales out. Um, So, yeah, about 12 gigs. And I really... Have learned a lot from you, Jason, about saturation and the market, and and again, kind of, you know, raising your standard. So I like that number. Um, I would like to maybe add a few, but you know, I I like I like having one at least a month.
0: And are they primarily here in Portland, or you just you traveling outside into the you know up the i five corridor? Yeah, Mm -hmm. all right, yeah. And what about you, Jason? For Stone and Love?
2: Well, for Stone and Love, yeah, you know God, that's a good question. Probably about fifteen shows a year. Okay, they happen across four months though, because um, our guitar player is only in, lives. He comes back. He's Thanksgiving through New Year's. Okay, and then he comes the beginning of June. And he leaves uh, after basically Memorial to Labor Day. Okay, um, and the rest of the time he just travels around the world and works remotely and has an amazing life. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, they're going to the north. They're going to the uh, South Pole on their next next trip out. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> via Colombia.
0: <laughs> so, how much has the market for these bands changed in the time, Jason? That you've been involved in this world of playing and you know being doing marketing and promoting promoting shows like these.
2: The. Um... It, it, the 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 local market, I mean, Portland has the, you know, from what I can tell, has the most saturated, active, whatever you want to call it, tribute scene in the United States. It's I don't true. think there really isn't anything like it which is ironic on so many levels, <laughs> given what makes this town tick, because it's like the yeah. one thing that shouldn't work here. Um, but I think it's sort of the antithesis to what is quote-unquote cool in Portland, and in a way, that's what makes it work. It's an alternative for the rest of us who just aren't that cool. Right. Um, and there are a lot of us. Um, <laughs> and so that's part of it. Um, and, it, you know, the, the reality is it generates a lot of money for venues, and that can't be ignored, and we can talk about that. But um, we're saturated here, um, I think, that You know, up and down I-5, there's a law of supply. So I I think the opportunities have shifted around, you know, much in the way that it works with corporate. So if I were talking about, like, cover bands, for example, as an analogy, when we got started, 70s, you know, funk, disco, that kind of stuff dominated the corporate world, while, you know, 80s-oriented bands were really popular in the clubs. Now the 80s types of bands are dominating in the corporate world, and the uh, 90s, you know, you're seeing, you're hearing a lot, I call them, uh, you, know, you know, the Bell Biv DeVoe, Black Street, No Diggity type stuff, you know, which is great, great club music, and mm-hmm. it's really popular in the clubs now. So tribute bands, the same kind of thing. What used to be sort of the the, the way of making money was to sell tickets. That Those opportunities, you, you have to spend a lot more money to make a lot less as a promoter or a tribute band with tribute bands in the hard ticket business. But there's a lot more opportunity in the fixed pay business because the market now the mainstream market. So what might've been like a a relatively, you know, I mean, we're booking ACDC and Def Leppard tributes at suburban summer concert series. You know what I mean? I mean, think about that. That doesn't happen 10 years ago. No. So I, I think that the, the great news, the bad news for tribute bands is that it's, you know, if you want to do a show at a, at a ticketed venue, you're pretty much going to be on with, you know, two or three other bands and, you know, you're going to make about a third of what you would make if you get booked for a, a, just a one-off, you know, a book, booking, booking opportunity. The the great news is that there are so many more opportunities, like the number of opportunities that exist for fixed pay gigs are increasing faster than the other ones are going away. Mm-hmm. So we probably have about another five to seven good years of that. The difference is that what a band has to have to get work is different. It used to be that a band could sell tickets based on their network and the fact that it was kind of, oh, wow, someone's playing Journey? I got to see this. Right. Well, now no nobody's surprised when a tribute to anything shows up. You know There's no sort of mystery <laughs> around it. You expect them to be good. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just a... That, that part of it so you you have to like your you know your promo materials have to be that much better to get gigs because you have to be able to sell a gig without somebody not seeing you without knowing you
0: mm-hmm. so how then for you liz do you book shows are you just working through what someone like jason or a booking agent can provide for you, you or, help?
1: or jason helps yeah for sure. i'm helpful <laughs> um you know i have been proactively seeking out connections with venues and that sort of thing um for the uh, maybe like two years ago that was really what i was working on for the band was just making sure to send all the emails follow up with even just a, a one-off fan who took a business card and maybe we had a moment right um so to kind of bounce off what you were just talking about and combine my answer um <laughs> i think what i When I'm when I'm trying to get gigs, I am thinking a lot about how the experience is going to be for the audience. And I try to cater to who hires us. So I will take a gig from a corporate entity. I will go to festivals. But the gig itself, what we deliver on stage, looks different every time. It looks different in an outfit. It sounds different uh, just with the sound system um, and, and our energy. So I think nostalgia has a lot to do with what you're talking about, Jason, oh. about how we kind of have that uh, romanticism about the past and now with ages and...
2: It's a great word. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: we're we're kind of like wanting to look back, right? Because maybe right now isn't where we'd like to be. <laughs> so we're having a lot of romanticized ideas about what we used to do. Um, and so I try to very much create a fun experience on stage, whether it's a dance party, whether it's a summer concert. I try to make it fun. I cater Um, and I think that's what Blondie would have done and still does. So I hope that answered your question. I think so. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Um, so of the 12 gigs that you are playing, that uh, Glass of Hearts is playing every year, like how many, what's the balance of those? Are they mostly like these sort of corporate events? Are they, you know, sort of outdoor summer series shows for Lake Oswego, like, like Jason was talking about?
1: Yeah. This year has been entirely different from our last three or four years, um, it, we have just accelerated with our everything quality, our music lineup, um, and connecting with you, Jason, has tremendously helped us because you have such a great, vast network. So from that, we've gotten gigs for from just being on your stage or being in, on the stages that you've provided us. Um, but yeah, of those 12, I, I don't want to say that I won't take a certain kind of gig because, you of course know, not. if yeah. it's paying, that's <laughs> honestly when I I will say no to freebies. Um but yeah, so yeah, that's that's it. If it pays and uh, it meets our minimum, then I have no convincing to do with the rest of my guys. Fair
2: enough, everybody's on board. Yeah. Even the best bands have what I call the fun money equation, which is the the more fun it is, the less you necessarily care about the money. Sure, and vice versa, man. I mean, there's some gigs that just suck, but but, <laughs> but man, you know, oh, the yeah. hourly rate is just like I I uh, you know I can do this ethically, so I'm gonna do it. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. even though it's not gonna be fun for me, I'm gonna do it. You know.
0: This might be a tough question to answer for, for both of you, but, you know, considering the, the the bands that you are presenting, the music that you're presenting to the to people, um, eventually – and I think the reason I'm asking this is, you know, looking at the, the schedule on JFEL Presents on your website, you know, I see, you know, tributes now to Korn and Rage Against the Machine, which is kind of, I think – uh, a new sort of era of these tribute bands that are that are coming in as people who were listening to those when they were you know
2: twelve fifteen. I don't years have old. corn, but I do have Megadeth. Okay, <laughs> I think I, I saw that there. Yeah. There is I, there's I, probably th- something like corn in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I must be yeah, yeah. misreading KGON yeah. or something,
0: but it's fine. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm sure there's a corn tribute band out there, but so, I'm sure that I know there is. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're, so you know there is kind of a cycle of uh, interest in. The artists that you guys are presenting, and and I don't want to say pretending to be—that seems so rude—or paying tribute to—that's what I'm trying to say here. So there is a cycle of interest in these bands that you're paying tribute to. Is it conversations that you've had within your respective bands about you know you know how long are we going to be
2: able to do this for? Hmm. Yeah, I mean the. Uh, b- b- I mean, the science of this is that you know the, the 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 marketability will outlast our own either ability or interest in doing it. Um, I mean, I, as an agent, I'm shocked at how many requests for Beatles tributes I get. The Beach Boys tributes are still working. Johnny Limbo is not a tribute, but that dude is still He's been com- at that commands for decades. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't I, I don't want to misspeak, but it's got to be over thirty years. Yeah, uh, and as long um, as I've been in the yeah, Northwest, and yeah. Uh, you know, and he you know still commands the dollars and still packs the audience. You know, so. I mean, I think that um, a lot of it depends on what it is. I mean, I think that if you meet the criteria for a really compelling tribute band now, I mean, again, I I see, you know, ABBA tributes that are killing it. Right. You know? But because of our age bracket, a lot of us probably aren't going to be doing this in 10 years anyway, maybe. Uh, but, but um, you know, I, I venture to guess that the rate limiting factor is going to be less about... What makes a band... If a band's really compelling today, it will probably remain that way as long as you want to do it. That's... Yes, the, the I think
1: okay. you you've nailed why like why I'm in the band that I'm in because okay. I think the band itself will live. It will continue on if, you know, if if enough people keep it breathing. And so like those core people that started the band that I'm in now, I'm not exactly sure which of my guys are the true blue members because the 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 way that we all fit together right now just works and we're present in what we have. So I feel like yeah, if 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 the thing works and the, the business of your band can still chug along, then it doesn't matter that I'm the singer. Yeah. It just needs to be. I, yeah. a- it,
2: it, it, I, w- I will say you can't say this because you're the singer, but, okay. but I can because I'm not the singer. and, and all and, and all the other musicians hate this when I say this, but deep in their hearts, they know it's true. You live or die with the singer no matter what, without exception, unless you're an instrumental band. and this I'm very gonna, true. And I'm going to use Van Halen as an example, right? Because everybody look at Van Halen and say, well, hey, Eddie Van Halen, blah, blah, blah. It's like, and, and the guy, uh, you know, uh, top Jimmy in town, Tim Smoltz, who does Van Halen, does as good a job as anybody. So mm-hmm. I'm not taking anything away from those guys. But I know a lot of guys can do the Van Halen. David Lee Roth is extremely difficult and right. hard to find. Mm-hmm. And that's the bottom line. And so, yeah. You know, it's true of Journey. I'm sorry, man, you don't have Steve Perry, You got you know, who does yeah. that voice? We could be the best. We could be the actual journey behind the singer. And if the person couldn't pull off the Steve Perry, there's no act. So, I, you know, the reality of the tribute bands is that, like, for example, in Glass of Hearts, the only way that band would ever continue without you is if they replaced somebody who was, you know, equally you know, fit the part. I mean, that's that's it. Singer, 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 singer. Right.
0: I mean, I'm, you know, you just think about the bands that you're referencing, the actual bands, of how radically their sounds changed when mm-hmm. a new singer came on board. Sure. You know the stuff that Journey is making now. As much as that guy, can't even remember his name. Uh, Arnell Paneda. great singer. Yeah, great singer, yeah. but doesn't you know he's yeah. not Steve Perry. Yeah. He gets close, but he's not there. Yeah. So they had to change the sound. And the same thing with with Van Halen. Yeah. You know the Sammy Hagar era sounds much different than the David Lee Roth yeah. there and the Gary Sharon record as yeah. well. So that's just Van Hagar is
2: probably the best example of how to do it right. No matter what anyone actually thinks, you know, I mean there are a lot of polarizing opinions about the two eras of Van Halen. Right. But there's no doubt that commercially. They made the right moves. Yeah. You know, a lot of bands haven't done that.
1: Yeah. You remind me, I'm not doing Blondie like now either. Yeah. Right. We're not, I'm, I'm, I've chosen a specific yeah. niche time and uh, the peak, yeah. if I, if I may. Right.
0: And I think that's what most good mm-hmm. tribute acts are doing are trying to like capture the peak era of a band, not yeah. like, you know, not like even what, you know, like a Def
2: Leopard would sound like now. Who they yeah. still
0: sound pretty good, but they don't sound like they did when hysteria yeah. was on the charts. You wouldn't want to
2: cover today's Motley Crue. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Although that would probably sell tickets. I kid you not. Yeah. If someone got up that's there and stick. actually did the horrible like thing just like YouTube, people would probably pay money to see it. Hey, people buy tickets to see Mac Sabbath. Fair, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um
0: you mentioned something, Jeff, that uh, I will leave this open to both of you, but you mentioned something about how Portland is one of the most saturated markets for this type of music, for the tribute bands of this kind. And um, part of the reason I wanted to do a, a segment of my show about this was because of that, because, you know, uh, with the job that I have and the work that I do, I look at the concert calendar all the time and I was like amazed, like there's always, you know, the Aladdin's doing these all the time, the Star Theater and Dante's doing these all the time. And I see these these gigs all the time and, you know. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it seemed like, you know, in the past, it might have been just sort of a summer phenomenon Mm -hmm. or something that happens on Halloween, you know, which Mm. is, you know, I've been in, you know, bands where it's like, let's do an all New Order set one, you know, Halloween. And it's great, and it's fun. But um, why do you think it has taken, it has spread throughout the calendar year and become such a big marketable thing that you guys can make a decent living off of nowadays? Mm. Well...
2: Wow. Oh, I, you want to go ahead? Yeah, yeah. I
1: think, uh, again, going back to the nostalgia, I think we want experiences. I think we're moving out of our homes finally and kind of moving away from looking down, and we want the experience of whatever it means, even if it means, you know how we love to hate? Sometimes of course. Sometimes I definitely yeah. love going to other tribute bands, and I try not to be that critic that crit- yeah. that's <laughs> overly harsh, but I've been there, so I know. It's hard not to, yeah. And... But I, I think sometimes our fans, our, our unfans, even like to come out and be a little critical and judgmental because it's just fun, right? And you get to critique.
0: That's why so much of us? So many of us, so many of us are on Twitter, right? Exactly. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, we yeah. all
1: have opinions. Um, but yeah, I think it has a lot to do with that live experience. I don't know, well, yeah.
0: Because you know, part of the reason to bring it up is because both of the the acts that you're paying tribute to, they are still touring. Like yeah. Journey is coming mm-hmm. back to the Sunlight Supply Amphitheater this summer to do a show with the Pretenders, and Blondie is still touring and making records. But um, I think for some of what we were talking about before, it is like you were saying, mm-hmm. Liz, of hitting the getting back to the peak era of this band. Yeah, the you know 1979 to 1984 era of this band that everyone loves to listen to so much.
1: And also going back to your female fronted observation, I know that that is something that I have going for me. Right, is that I am a female singer. I'm also a younger tribute musician. I've yep. noticed I'm yes. in a crowd of a, yeah. a smaller group there too. Um,
2: if you're under forty, yeah, you're on the young side of the tribute scene. <laughs> that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but so yeah, I definitely have the sex appeal element for my band going. Uh, okay, and yeah. I
2: think that pulls us uh, You know, um, see, I can definitely answer this question. I'm just trying to figure out how not to take two hours to do it. Um, I'm going to talk about what I think is the most important thing, which is that, because I I learned a lot, you know, recently from my experience. You know, I've also tried some really uh, interesting original music things. I did this Mogo Music Festival for a couple years. The second year we did it, we had 76 bands, all local bands across 13 venues. This was two years ago. Wow. So, and we had curators. I mean, Farnell Newton was one of the curators. We had a really killer hip-hop show with Mike Capes headlining. We had Scott Pemberton. He I mean, just a really, he was a fantastic lineup. And, and um, I got, in, I, you know, I've been involved with Music Portland. I used to do these free, you know, meetups over at the Doug Fir. We still do And I run the PDX Music Business Forum. And I've learned uh, some interesting things about original musicians versus the tribute musicians, which, with, which are part of why Tribute Scene has been so successful, which is they, the tribute uh, performers have gotten engaged together and and mm-hmm. work together to move forward the scene in a way that the original musicians like are so far from doing it's like not even close it's like the amateurs and the professionals mm-hmm. you know what i mean it was it, it was i have to admit it's been it was really disheartening i was expecting to try the same kinds of things that i tried in with tribute bands with original musicians and none of it worked um, and I came to realize that it's just a different animal and I, I won't get into all the dynamics, but I mean the organization and the working togetherness that, that is in the tribute scene, it cannot be under understated in terms of its growth. The second thing is that, um, you know, I, um, from a, from a personal standpoint, I, I mean this in no egotistical way, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I probably, you know, maybe 75 to 90% of the tribute shows that happen in the Portland Metro are probably coming from me anyway. And so, um you know um i'm able to keep shows from competing with one another that helps um the actual the actual number of tribute shows you know part of the reason why the there's a perception of so many tribute shows Mm -hmm. is that you know um i probably spend more to advertise one show than most original bands you know spend (laughs) an entire year and um you know, there are a lot of reasons for that, um, but you know, part of it is that we we are higher visibility because the amount of money that is going into advertising these bands now, because we have a thriving scene. So it's it's like with banks. If you want to borrow money from a bank and you don't have any money, good luck getting it. If you have money, the bank will give it to you all day long. And, and you know what advertising works the, and, and social media and all that works the same way. Right. Once you have, you're like a rocket, man, once you have momentum, that thing just keeps going. And while market forces can steer it, as long as you steer with those forces and change direction with it to, to compensate, you can keep going for quite a while. So I think, you know, the reality of the percentage is if you looked at like how many, the percentage of concerts are actually tribute shows locally, it's minute. Sure. It's like actually a lot lower than people think. I think the perception, cause I, I mean, I've been hit with everything from you're screwing up the music scene to you're taking all the gigs away from the original musicians. And the, the level of BS in that line of thinking is so deep. I mean, we could just look at the numbers alone. Count right. up all the shows on a given weekend. Right. You might find four or five tribute shows out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. The other thing, you know, the other, the other thing that's problematic is that there are too many places that have live music. But that, I, that's a different show. Right. Don't get me started. Yeah. yeah. That, that, we, it it thins the whole thing out. So it makes it harder for original musicians. That's a that's a different thing. It's so. weird to
0: hear anyone suggest that, like, you know, you're making it harder for any of these bands to tour. Because as they just said, like, Journey tours almost every summer. Blondie keeps touring. Well,
2: no, no, no. I'm talking about, uh, like, local original, oh, music- local original, music- local music. Okay, original musicians yeah, blaming yeah, tribute yeah. bands for not being able to get gigs. When the reality that's, is that's the actual ridiculous. number of shows is, like, yeah. less than 1% of shows that happen in the Portland area on a given night. Fair enough. tribute shows, yeah. Fair enough. Um, last fun question.
0: Um, for each of you, um, what is the most memorable show that you can think of that you've played with your respective tribute bands?
1: I think uh, the most recent Aladdin performance was with awesome. the Night of Bowie, a great Canadian-based... Yep.
2: Part of the Canadian invasion. Great oh, band.
1: That was just a great space, great energy from the crowd. I had... Like, no slip-ups personally, <laughs> you know? Like, it was just a stellar evening.
2: I was in the audience that night. It was electric, man. Yeah. It was amazing. It nice. was amazing, yeah. The
1: gold jumpsuit. You can't go wrong. There's like, some
2: great pictures of the gold yeah, jumpsuit. Yeah. I love that.
1: <laughs> and that's that's what pulls me into doing this every gig, every year, is just how much fun it is. It is absolute
2: fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And what about you, Jason? Whew. Man, this is a tough one. You know, yeah. I preface this by saying we've sold out the Spirit Mountain Main Event Center three times, multiple times at the Crystal Ballroom, wow. Revolution Hall, Wonder, you all of them. Respect. But I think that the the one that's most memorable was the first time we played at the Aladdin. It was probably our sixth show. We sold it out. Uh, it was the nice. beginning of everything. You know what I mean? It was when we really knew that there was something. You know, we had something. Um, and I had never played a gig like that as a musician. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, I, I. I, I loved the venues I played at, but they were the Buffalo Gap, Green Room you know, at the time, you know, Dublin Pub, you know, smaller venues. And again, great places, but not, it wasn't the same experience as mm-hmm. being in, like you were yeah. saying, in that theater setting. And so I think part of the reason why, because that was like, it was a while, I was like 2010. So it was a long time ago, but it really stuck with me, I think because it was my first one like that. Um, as a promoter, I think selling out the Crystal Ball was probably, I mean, other than nice. the creation of Hairfest, Hairfest stands alone because it's a, it's crazy right, right. Um, no one ever thinks that you're gonna do that you know what I mean like that's not what you set out to do but the, but the, you know I, the, it was a milestone to sell out the crystal but I think as a performer I, I'm with you Liz mm-hmm. but I thought the Aladdin there's something about that place If you the other thing about the Aladdin that people don't realize is that the, all those shows we're doing there they're all ages Yeah. and right. it's really the only place like that outside of the summer concert tree and you know it is a family thing to come to these concerts you know your kids love this music
1: we had kids dancing yeah, we that, had kids yeah. buying t-shirts and they know the music because that's
2: <laughs> What the parents have going in their car right, right yeah that's you know the multi-generational thing's huge
0: mm-hmm. well i'll leave it to you both to please let people let our listeners know where they can find information about your projects online
1: yeah if i may glassofhearts.net is our great website uh you can find us on facebook and instagram glass of hearts portland oregon
2: if you Google tribute bands, you'll find me. <laughs> but specifically, um, it's jfell.com, J-Fell, F-E-L-L.com. That has uh, the whole show calendar. And whereabouts for Stone and Love. Oh, well, our next show, Stone in Love, it's stoneinlove.com. Our next show is uh, actually the 28th of this oh, yeah. of December at the Crystal Ballroom. Oh, with, fantastic. With Barracuda, the heart tribute. Nice. Yeah, a little classic rock show for you, yeah. And what about you, Liz? When is the next uh, Glass of Hearts show?
1: J-Phil got us this nice gig over at Billy Blue's Bar and Grill in Vancouver. Uh, January 18th, I want to say, we are going up with Notorious, which is a Duran Duran oh, tribute band. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Those guys
2: are really good.
1: We're going to get your bodies That's moving. a really good pairing, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Well, Jason Feldman, Liz, guys, thank you so much for being on the show today. really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Woo!
2: Oh, yeah. Let's get the body fluid out there. Come on. Woo! Show me how we got to do it.
0: In the background right now, a little taste of Stone and Love, the Journey tribute band that features one of my guests, Jason Fellman, on the drums. Again, their next show is on the 28th of December at the Crystal Ballroom. I want to thank both Jason Fellman and Liz Giz of Glass of Hearts for being on the show this week. On next week's World of Noise, you're going to hear a discussion about another minor musical wave happening in Portland. I'll be speaking with Kelly Welly, Red Barn, and Zazzy Zoe, three artists who are writing and performing music for kids here in town. As well, I'll be speaking with Anson Wright, a local jazz guitarist who is set to celebrate the release of his latest album, Only Love. All that and more on next week's World of Noise.
1: Yeah.
0: If you have any questions or comments about the show, feel free to find us on Twitter, where we are at Ray, Or you can contact me directly through my Twitter account, which is at Robert Ham Writer. If you're listening to this on Thursday afternoon live on X-Ray FM, remember you can hear past episodes of World of Noise and subscribe to hear future installments over at xraypod.com, where we are part of the X-Ray Podcast Network. Or you can find us wherever you download your podcasts. Again, this has been DJ Bob Ham, and this has been World of Noise. Until next week, thanks for listening.